0: Before we start this week's episode, I want to give a shout out to some incredible new reviews that we got. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts. If you're listening on Spotify, you can click the five stars. Because reviews mean so much to this podcast, but also to me personally, if you leave a good one, I'm going to give you a shout out. Vicki Cole said, never too old. I may be 55. That may be a huge lie, but you realize that you loved this podcast and we flip things on their head and give you a totally different point of view. So I really appreciate you leaving that. Aunt ZZ said, one of my favorite podcasts, and you really appreciate the thoughtful discussion and comedic tidbits. So thank you so much. Nana Marin said, my fave. Okay, thank you. Now you're my fave. Lydia Liu, 78, said more than just a memoir podcast. I laugh, I cry, and have become more fully myself. So that really, really touches my heart. Um, Tech Levesque said thoughtful, funny, and you know what? I actually can't see the full title. So who knows? What a mystery. And you said you listened to one episode on a whim and then uh, joined the Patreon. So that means so much. And you said I am warm, funny, and kind. And that really means a lot to me. Um, Then... KJ shu 24 said entertaining and inspiring. Okay. Thank you. And you love how I tie the themes and threads across careers over decades. And you love the book, Del test and shout out to Lauren Passel, who inspired it. Thank you so much for taking the time to make a review. These reviews help us so much. So keep them coming and I will give you a shout out. And now let's dive into the episode. Welcome to Celebrity Book Club. This is a podcast that recaps and celebrates female celebrity memoirs. I'm your host, Chelsea Devantes, I'm a TV writer, comedian, and filmmaker, and sometimes I'm in stuff too. And this week we are book clubbing Michelle Obama's first memoir titled, Becoming, published in 2018. This book is giving First Lady Realness a masterclass in finding shade on the high road, and a beautiful look into one of the most inspirational and powerful women in America. Come take a walk with me back into the Obama years.
1: One of the things I learned is that life is an evolutionary process. We are evolving. We will change and grow every year. And I hope that I never stop becoming. It's a title of promise. This is a journey. I'm 54 years old. I'm. I'm not done yet. I am still becoming who I am.
0: Okay. Before I introduce our guest, let me just say we had to use our backup Zoom audio for the first 11 minutes, but then it goes into some real sexy audio, and the audio quality gets great again. So first 10 minutes uh, might be just a tiny bit wonky, uh, but it's still gonna be good. Now let's bring our guest on. We are diving into it all today with a dear friend of mine. She is a content creator who explores, examines, and discusses popular culture. And she is the host of the Black People Love Paramore podcast and a brand new podcast called Glass House. It's
1: Sequoia Holmes. Hello. Thank you for having me, Chelsea. Thank
0: you so much for coming onto the podcast. So if you guys don't want to hear how we met, skip ahead two minutes. But Sequoia, <laughs> do you remember how we first met?
1: Um, I do remember how we first met. We met at a Super Bowl party. Yes. At and, Yasser's house.
0: Well, I would dare say me and Yasser's apartment to, that we what? held together. Yeah, we, know we both lived there. Yeah, <laughs> yes, I lived there. We both paid rent on that place. You know, this, uh, I will say me and Yasser's um, toxic trait is that we have lived together almost since the day we
1: met. Oh, wow. I did not know that. Yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, we met because uh, your partner, Eric, is very, very good friends, was the best man uh, or a best man, a groomsman groomsmen. to Yasser. And we had, I wouldn't say a party, but we had a gathering of like seven people for the Super Bowl.
1: Yes, yes. And it was really fun. Oh my God. Yes. That's when I was like, and- oh my God, these are the funniest people I've ever met in my life. That was my first <sighs> time meeting both of you, I think.
0: Wow. Okay. Thank you so much. And then uh, we we started a bit where we... We're telling them we were best friends. And then we, that's just sort of has continued throughout <laughs> our lives. And I want to give you a shout out because Yasser and I at some point joked that at the wedding, because the dress code was trying to outdo us, that we would uh, give out awards for best dressed, quickly realizing that was a terrible idea. But <laughs> in retrospect, I'm not, I, I, and I want so many great. So many great guests, but I think you had one of my favorite, if not my favorite outfit.
1: Thank you so much. Yes. You. Yes, you guys,
0: it was it was so stunning. I will post it on my Instagram at Chelsea DeMontez when this episode drops. <laughs> if you want to see, <laughs> listen, it was such a, uh, an incredible dress code. There were so many outfits and, and you still were a cut above.
1: Thank you. I think you did post it on your Instagram, maybe in your story. Oh, I
0: kept posting like, I it think, constantly because yeah. I was just like, look <laughs> at this. Look at what she wore. I loved it. But I'll Wait. repost it for this episode. Okay, cool. so you wanted to do Quinta Brunson's book at first. And I, at the last second, was like, I just can't because we're just too friendly. It felt it felt too intimate That's to fair. me. But I do want everyone to go pick up her book and read it. She's such a gem in this world. I, just, I was yeah. just going to feel like it'd be like me discussing your book in third person. I'd be like, <laughs> I can't do this, you know? I love
1: it. <laughs> honestly. But Quinta's book is fantastic. So truly, that's why I wanted to discuss it. It's so fucking good. So go, go pick it up. For go sure. pick it
0: up. Go pick it up. And um, okay. But then I said, what book next? And second to Quinta was Michelle Obama. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that says a lot about me personally.
0: So why did you want to do Michelle Obama's memoir?
1: Michelle Obama's memoir put me in such a a weird space. I was like, I can't believe I relate to Michelle Obama so strongly. I fully did not anticipate relating that strongly. I started reading it when I was in a really weird time in my life, very transitional, very uncomfortable. Um, I would say even lightly depressed, maybe. And it mm-hmm. definitely pulled me out of that and gave uh, me hope and I resilience and all the things. That when a Obama book does that,
0: yeah. Yes. I love when a book just rips you out of depression and like sets you in a new place. Yeah.
1: I was like, damn,
0: she's just like me. That's crazy. <laughs> You're like, am I really comparing myself to Michelle? Yes. I I, I really love that. Yes. Okay. So we're going to be doing actually both of Michelle's memoirs on this podcast over the next that. coming months. So we're starting with Becoming, then we're doing her second one um, in a month or two because we actually booked the second memoir first. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, wait, what are we doing? <laughs> we got to do both. <laughs> so I'm so happy you wanted to read this book. And so let's dive into it. For sure. Okay, so let me start by reading the first paragraph of the introduction and then a couple highlights from it. So she said, I'm proud of this book truly because of what it means to me and hopefully what it will mean to you. I knew from the outset that if I was going to write a memoir, it had to include more than the shade of blue I chose for a china pattern or who was or wasn't invited to a state dinner. Those are parts of my story, yes, but to be honest, they aren't very important parts. And I had no interest in using a memoir to settle scores or win a few news cycles because I don't care about any of that either. Then later she says, And as a black woman, all of that was even more important. For the better part of our history, black women's stories have either gone untold or been told by others, by those who haven't even walked in our shoes and sometimes those who haven't even cared to imagine what it might feel like to do so. That's why it was crucial for me to tell in my own words and on my own terms, not just the story of the first black first lady, but also the story of a little black girl who studied hard, became a lawyer, fell in love. The story of a black woman raising children, building a career and staying afloat amid a tumultuous world. There is great beauty within every black woman's story, whether or not we become first lady. I love this. I would say, um, theme of the podcast, uh, the power of telling your own story and, and specifically hers, um, just the power of sharing it, it, it was really always going to be seismic, just regardless of how it was written. And, it, and then it also is a fantastic book.
1: Mm-hmm. It's, it's so good. It's, Seismic like you said.
0: Yes. And it's also uh physically seismic. This is four hundred and twenty pages before even the last like note to self section is a big one.
1: And so you know, we're gonna only gonna give that to the first lady. Like nobody oh, else yeah. is getting that off yeah. rip what well, their first book.
0: Though, and Jane Fonda. Jane Fonda actually Jane Fonda. attempted um she said her first her first draft was twelve hundred pages, and it was cut down
1: to six hundred. you know what so Michelle could, it was still massive
0: it's still massive, and you know, so Michelle Obama could have taken twice this uh but this funny thing that truly is so inconsequential but when you read a lot of books, dumb things sometimes catch my attention and she <laughs> she wrote the introduction to this book um. To, so there's a new introduction published in 2020. The mm-hmm. book came out in 2018. So the copy I have is this 2020 introduction added onto it. And she has a very similar introduction in her second memoir, which was came out two years after the book. So I was like, wow, you've, you've been churning books. But in both introductions, this is so stupid. <laughs> she talks about how nervous <laughs> she was to publish Becoming mm-hmm. and how before it comes out uh, in this introduction, she says... My husband stays up much later than me, and thankfully he was still awake when my fears came to visit and wouldn't leave. I crawled out of bed, put my slippers on, and went down to talk to him. Maybe the tour wasn't a very smart idea, I told him. Maybe the book will flop. Brock put his arms around me and placed his forehead on mine. It's good, Mish. It really is. It really is. Mm. So sweet. Okay, like- but in the, in the second memoir, it's a similar story, and this is so stupid, but I do I do want book editors and people, I want your friends to catch this in your books. In the second introduction, she wakes up and goes upstairs and finds him upstairs. And he's like working in his office. Mm-hmm. And and then a sort of par- a different paraphrasing of the interaction happens. <laughs> but in the second book, it's like slightly less, just slightly less adorable. <laughs> Where he, instead of being like, your book is so good. And the second one, he's like, hey, anxiety is like a part of every new challenge, which, you
1: know, so just a little enough. bit. You've been enough. through this already. Okay, okay, Meech. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But, but that's the thing. It's not two separate incidents. It's the same incident and it's the same telling. Yes.
1: Interesting.
0: Because I spent a lot of time on it. I was like, so she's just like constantly waking up before books and like (laughs) finding rocks. But she's, she's talking about becoming in both. She's talking about her first book in both of them and change and the direction of the stairs change. And here's the thing. If this was Meghan Markle or, or Prince Harry, people would be like, you said you were going downstairs. Of course. You liar. Right. So, and and listen, now that I'm writing a book, definitely very easy to get this direction wrong. For downstairs. sure.
1: I do expect someone to catch it though. No, 100%. But you know what I think between the two books, because I've been paying attention to Michelle's book tour for the second one. Yeah. It seems like she's being a lot more candid about her relationship with Barack specifically. So I think the differences in those interactions, because in the first one, she speaks of him incredibly highly. Like in a way where I'm like, oh my God, he's really as incredible as I He's really America's daddy. (laughs) Right, like literally America's daddy. And now in the second book tour, she's being a lot more candid about humanizing him a little bit more even. And I think that those differences between the two prefaces speak to the shift, not the shift, but the the how she's allowed to speak about him now that she's no longer that close to the campaign trail.
0: Yes, I completely agree. And it's really a study in memory because perception is reality and the way you perceive your own memories like change. And this is why we can't fully trust our memories, even you know, we can, we can't. Yeah. And uh and yeah, you could see how she how how the memory shifted a little bit. Yeah. And I will also to to give some specificity of what you're saying, in this book tour, she specifically said, for 10 years of my marriage, I could not stand Barack Obama. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is a little uh, you know, I everyone, everyone gasped, like Daddy, did you just say that about America, Daddy? it hurt it, it hurt so
1: much anxiety i'm like if michelle obama couldn't stand barack for 10 years of her marriage there's no hope for the rest of us okay oh
0: i know and then I she said, said nothing <laughs> I would, I would take 10 bad years for the 20 good ones. I said, I don't like this math. No. That is one third. I
1: won't take tw- 10 bad years for the t- 20 good ones. Hell no. One third of my marriage. I hated you. No. No, absolutely no. not. Also, as someone who was newly married, I
0: was like shaking in my boots. I was like, oh, no, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> this is not a good time to consume this type of thing. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I'm just like, I don't, wanna, I don't want 10 bad years. 10 years is a long time. It's
1: just a really long time. Long She's time- better than me.
0: But it really did make me read this book a little
1: differently. Yeah.
0: Because, uh, so we'll get into it. Okay, yeah. so diving in, the, I will say the childhood section was not my favorite. It fell um, prey to what every single memoir in the world falls prey to, which is there's sometimes just like a lot of childhood memory mush. And there's not like a lot of great storytelling with beginning, middle, ends. It's just sort of like, in this, and this, and this. She grows up in the South Side of Chicago. On Euclid Ave, a working class family. Her brother, Craig, is everything to her. Um, and her mom like stays home to take care of the kids. It, it is a beautiful upbringing. You need it in the book, but it, it wasn't my favorite. What, what did you
1: think? Um, I thought the upbringing was fantastic. It was beautiful. Tell me. I, it, it resonated with me so hard, her family situation. I'm like, oh my God. Again, we're the same Person. That was
0: your family too.
1: More or less. I'm an only child, kind of. I have an older brother, but he's much older. But I very Mm. much idolized my older brother for real. It was the same type of square, homey feel that she describes. My mom is also from the south side of Chicago. Wow. It just, there was a lot of parallels. And so I was very into it personally for that reason.
0: (laughs) I kind of really perked up. On page 65, when she follows in Craig's footsteps to go to Princeton. Yeah. And it, it, it is so sweet. But you, she also, it, I love how um, she does not give in to fanfare easily. No. So she wrote this. Not, she impressed. Said, not impressed. Not impressed. She said, the campus was large and pretty, an Ivy League school covered with Ivy. And Craig's friends seemed nice enough. I didn't <laughs> overthink it from there. She said, no one in my immediate family had much in the way of direct experience with college. So there's very little anyway to, to debate or explore. I mean, she's so she's she's not from a college family, not from an Ivy League family. And she's like, yeah, OK, great. And uh, let me try and go to Princeton, which is it's just it's just so hard <laughs> to go to Princeton. And it was like a second thought, which I also love.
1: 100. <laughs> I, I also love that. And as someone who went to my first Ivy Ivy campus like a while ago. I was like mm-hmm. this is beautiful. The Ivy League campuses as a whole are fantastic, but it's because I had something to compare it to. If I didn't have anything to compare it to, it also would probably just be like this is college, I guess. So I get how she arrived there.
0: You know? Oh, really? I I do not because I um I went I had um friends at Princeton. Mm-hmm. And I had also uh, sadly, because this doesn't match who I am at all. I had also thought about like going to an Ivy League, but let, but Thank much you. like Michelle, like I don't have an Ivy League family. I was the first person mm-hmm. to graduate from yep. college in my family. Uh, those campuses fucked me up. Yeah. I yeah. was, I felt like I, I felt like I was in a, an amusement park 100%. of elitist <laughs> golf course lawns.
1: Yep. yep,
0: And it really shook me to my core. I So I love that she was like, "Eh, fine, I'll go here," because I was like, "What are these buildings? (laughs) Like, what? How does everything have assisting chapel ceiling?"
1: Right.
0: Yeah. So she goes. She's like, "Yeah," and then I go to Princeton. Great, because she's that's just how put together she is. Of course, she gets in Princeton. I stand and. She has this story about, she's like, thankfully I found out later, but I I later find out that like my roommate Kathy had moved out because her family was like, you're not living with a black girl. And they were just that
1: racist. This story was wild.
0: Yeah. Well, I, and I want to tie it in with another cookie story, Gabrielle Union's second memoir. She shares this story of getting to college uh, in Michigan and she, uh, her roommate's not there yet. And her mom is like, we need to give them a heads up that you are black Mm -hmm. Um, in case they want to be racist to us so they can get a running (laughs) start. (laughs) Uh, And they uh, she leaves a little note being like, hi, welcome. I'm your new roommate. And she leaves a picture of herself like it's me, Gabrielle. Like, can't wait to your roommate. And her roommate moves in. It's all it's all fun and games later. Later, they end up talking about it in the middle of the night. And her roommate's like, oh, my God, I just thought you were, like, super conceited. I Because oh, her no. roommate, thankfully, was not racist. Leave she was just photo. like, oh, this girl thinks she's so hot. She's, like, giving me a photo of herself. But Gabrielle knew there's Kathys in the world.
1: No, 100%. And Gabrielle it, grew up around them. So she absolutely. already had the experience. So she knew. Yeah.
0: She's like, if you would like to be a Kathy, I would like to give you the chance to leave before I know about it, which is also what Michelle said. She's like, I'm really happy. I never knew about this till
1: later. I like that she didn't know, too. I thought that was an interesting Kathy. Yeah. I want to know how she found out. I don't know if she ever addressed that, but no, I want to no. know how she found
0: out. Yeah, someone was messy.
1: Someone yeah, was someone messy and her. said, hey,
0: remember Kathy? <laughs> remember that bitch?
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. She didn't like you. <laughs> I
0: uh, Although I will say, Michelle seems to me like someone who, she's not going to include the mess of how she found out, but Kathy's, that, Kathy's her real name. Yeah. That's, that's what I hope and think.
1: <laughs> I stand. I literally stand the level of shade. Your intro was so good for it. What did you Say like shade from a high place F- or
0: something. F- finding shade on the high road. It's
1: so accurate. That's yeah. exactly what she doing the whole book.
0: And Michelle, <laughs> Michelle takes the high road constantly, which is probably the thing I admire most about her because I find it such a hard road to be on myself. Yeah. My my Yeah. So she uh graduates, she becomes a lawyer, and then we get into the love story with Obama, which I will say, all the love story with Obama was my favorite part. Obviously, yeah. I'm a sucker for rom-coms. I loved these pages and i will say the only skepticism of him well there's a there's a couple things that are in there that i think I found really funny but i i really liked this paragraph she said so he's coming into the law firm he's older than her but she's been there first and she's gonna like mentor him and coming into the law firm and people were just buzzing about him before he arrived it's this incredible guy and she wrote I was skeptical of all of it. In my experience, you put a suit on any half-intelligent black man, and white people tended to go bonkers. I was doubtful he'd earn the hype. (laughs) (laughs) It's such such a dig mostly on white people, but it was also funny that she was like, "This guy ate shit." Like, wasn't into the buzz. I
1: love. Yeah,
0: I love it. Yeah, me too. And then, um, really, they start this just sort of mentorship. It's it's not romantic at all. In fact, she's just sort of like, "Who's this dude?" And she's not interested. He smokes.
1: What she thought was disgusting. Yes,
0: and more than that, she and I share something extremely in common, which is that um, my uh, mom used to smoke uh, when she was with my first stepdad, and mm-hmm. and it. I mean, I did wild things to stop them from smoking, and and Michelle and Craig did as well. They would steal their cigarettes and break them up and pour water on yep. them. All these things.
1: Put hot sauce. I think Put they hot said sauce on them. Yeah.
0: I, yes, Same. I, yes, I would do things yeah. like that too. So, I cannot, I cannot and have never dated a smoker because it it takes me back to childhood. And I've never even touched a cigarette to my lips. So how Michelle ends up getting over this, that to me, I was like, wow, true love. (laughs)
1: she said that he stopped smoking them in her presence so yeah, i think it was still, kind of an out of sight out of mind I thing. he still has like the scent on you him and that type scent. of thing yeah for sure, yeah for sure yeah. unless he was taking precautions to cover up because he knew that he she hated it he might have
0: if you are a true smoker you can never cover it up that's just the truth there's no there's just it's really true and, and and again i'm saying this because like smokers are fine and great i just had a. I, when you have a distinct childhood disdain for it you can always pick up pick up the scent um but anyways, yeah, so they get past it. And, um, I mean, she tries to hook him up with other people. They're just they're just truly friends. And then one night, she just sort of feels like, wait, are we more than friends? And that famous line, he says, want to go get ice cream.
1: Yeah, yeah, which
0: I love. And then for their first kiss, uh, she says, he was looking at me curiously with a trace of a smile. Can I kiss you? He asked. And with that, I leaned in and everything felt clear, which was so gorgeous. But then I also said... Ooh, Barack was about consent, maybe like 25 years before it entered the
1: zeitgeist. If there was one thing this this book taught me is that Barack has been that guy for way longer than I was aware that he was that guy. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It
0: was really, really sweet. Sibling fights are unavoidable, but what if every fight you had was under a microscope on a global scale? That's the reality for brothers Prince William and Prince Harry. They were each other's closest friends and allies since the death of their mother. But that all began to crack as they married and took wildly different approaches to their royal duties. Wondry's podcast, Dis Tell, is hosted by comedians Sidney Battle and Matt Belisai. Each episode unpacks one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds, and they recently took a deeper look into the real reason William versus Harry started. It's actually much bigger than these two brothers stretching back into the history of the British monarchy. Did their feud start with the royal family's mistreatment of Meghan Markle, or was it something that started much earlier? Follow Disentel on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. I started this podcast because I have been obsessed with memoirs my entire life, and I can't believe it, but I got to write my own, and it comes out on June 4th, and you can order it right now. The book, you know, I was asked to describe it, and I said, it is an absolutely harrowing, traumatic memoir. But funny? So if that sounds good to you, order it. Let me give you some topics that are in this memoir. A female best friendship breakup. How I got my break into Hollywood. When I found out my dad was not my real dad. The time I dated a magician. Are those last two related? Who's to say? Read the book. Growing up in Utah. Growing up around cults. How I got into therapy. Listen, I could keep going. Each chapter title is a different woman's name in my life. Some are heroes. Some are motherfucking villains, but you know what? A villain and a hero, what are both of those things? A leading role. And we do love women in our leading roles. So pre-order the book. It matters a lot. I linked everywhere that you can buy it in the show notes, but you know, go anywhere. Also... I am reading the audiobook personally. So I'm personally narrating it. So if you like this podcast, get my longest podcast ever. And the audiobook is also available for pre-sale everywhere you get audiobooks. And thank you so much for listening to this podcast. You are the reason I got to write a memoir. So thank you so, so much. Mm-hmm. And then we we get back in. We go. We kind of go through these stories of like her and Barack being together, building their careers, uh, going back and forth through things. I, I have to read this about um, Michelle's mom. So Michelle is starting to feel like maybe she doesn't want to be a lawyer, and she's not fulfilled. And she's she tells her mom, and she says. I see now how this must have come across my mother, who was in the ninth year of a job she'd taken primarily so she could help finance my college education after years of not having a job so that she'd be free to sew my school clothes, cook my meals, and do laundry for my dad, who for the sake of our family spent eight hours a day watching gauges on a boiler at the filtration plant. My mom, who'd just driven me an hour to fetch me from the airport, who was letting me live rent-free in the upstairs of her house, and who would have to get herself up at dawn the next morning in order to help my disabled dad get ready for work, was hardly ready to indulge my angst about fulfillment. Fulfillment, I'm sure, struck her as a rich person's conceit. Mm -hmm. And then she says, if you're asking me, I'd say make the money first and worry about your happiness later. Which, while is not good uh, advice per se, definitely is insight into what her mom had to do because her mom didn't have the gift of choice
1: 100 and it's so common amongst uh, first generation black folks first generation to do a lot of things black folks is that feeling because so much has been sacrificed for you and you were you were able to go ahead and reach the mountaintops and all those things because of the sacrifices that came for you and the pressure to maintain that, the pressure to put your happiness to the side or your fulfillment to the side in order to keep your family proud is something Michelle talks about often. Is something that I have felt and just something I know a lot of Black people feel who are the first people in their families to do X, Y, or Z. Yeah,
0: yeah. That, that makes so much sense. And I will say I ended up having, I think, the deepest relationship I had within this book was with her mom. And like, yes. I really, I, her mom is weighing heavily on my heart. So I'm going to start this thread here of what you just said, and we're going to pick it back up a couple of times. But then in the book, we get to the proposal with Brock. So she said, We'd had the hypothetical marriage discussion plenty of times already and nothing much ever changed. I was a traditionalist and Barack was not. It seemed clear that neither one of us could be swayed. But still, this didn't stop us, two lawyers after all, from taking up the topic with hot gusto. Surrounded by men in sport coats and women in nice dresses enjoying their fancy meals, I did what I could to keep my voice calm. If we're committed, I said, as evenly as I could muster, why wouldn't we formalize that commitment? What part of your dignity would be sacrificed by that? They're in the middle of this fight And she says, their waiter comes around holding a dessert plate. And when he takes the lid off, there is a diamond ring. (gasps) And she says, Barack looked at me playfully. He baited me. It had all been a ruse. It took me a second (laughs) to dismantle my anger and slide into joyful shock. He riled me up this way because this was the very last time he would invoke that inane marriage argument ever again, as long as we both shall live. I loved it.
1: (laughs) What did you think of this as an engagement story? That's such a good engagement story, but it also makes me nervous. It also makes me mad. yeah, (laughs) Yes, it makes me mad because it implies that they'd had that conversation before, that Barack had been kind of on the anti-marriage tip before that. (laughs) And if Michelle Obama cannot avoid the anti-marriage tip again. <laughs> what, what is there for the rest of us? What are the rest of us to do? Okay, if Barack is acting like the rest of these, what are the rest of us to do? That is
0: such a good point because also this man has politics on his heart and you he know, knows he he got to get married. That's just, even if he didn't want marriage, he knows right. with his political dreams. Now, I believe he truly, obviously truly wanted to be married and loves Michelle. I'm just saying, yes. even if he didn't, he still has to. And he was yes. like, no marriage. <laughs> like <laughs>
1: why was he playing with her heart
0: like that i know why did you do that barry i will Don't say do that. i like it for them because they do seem like two lawyers who are debating all the time so like i guess yeah. this is funny i will say if it happened to me i would not like it i would be like why i'm did, not entertained. yeah i'd be like i'm like <laughs> i am what do you what, what what's going on here
1: you think this is cute you think you this, is, this is a game you think this is funny i'm not entertained that being said
0: i do <laughs> like it more than like and and like this is beautiful too but I like it I do like this little clever like inside joke thing more than like I like I threw rose petals around you and like pop champagne like that doesn't seem very them.
1: <laughs> Your wedding is very indicative of you preferring this type of method over like a, a traditional <laughs> traditional rose petals thing. For sure. I feel that. I do think the inside joke thing is very cute. And I'm happy that she feels fulfilled by that.
0: I like that. If I had, you know,
1: maybe, maybe I would too. I don't know. I've never been in circumstance. I don't think about marriage that much. Maybe.
0: Yeah. I mean, I love it. I loved it. That was a read on me and Michelle and I accept. <laughs> I accept.
1: No read. No
0: read. <laughs> uh Okay. So then uh Barack is basically writing a book. He's not famous at this time. He's just like, I want to write a book about our country and race and politics and yeah. heal my daddy issues at the same time. This is a book I can yeah. get behind. You know what I mean?
1: A oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Good
0: guy. Good guy. And then he gets involved with um, Get Out and Vote, which is like getting Democrats to register to vote. And it's, it's this huge thing. And he blows his book deadline. They cancel the contract and he owes them the advance of $40,000.
1: $40,000. Which I
0: kind of also love. I love knowing Barack blew a deadline.
1: Me too. I was like, oh, this is great. But apparently he blows a lot of them because he has a hard time Being on time for things, so it makes sense. which is that charisma
0: thing where it's like you can have the charisma, but then we're going to take something else away.
1: Yeah, we're leaning on the charisma real hard. But I do love knowing that. I told Garrick that when I read it last night. I was like, Garrick, do you know that Brock had a book in 92 and he blew that deadline? Yeah. And we were like, wait, he was like, what? I say it gives (laughs) everybody hope. Gives everyone hope. Yeah.
0: Well, Michelle basically says she leans into motherhood as as momentum and and her driving force. And they, they have a difficult time getting pregnant. And so she turns to IVF with Barack and uh, it's like, so he's getting into politics, but they're also doing IVF and you, you very, I mean, you got to look for it, but I do think that's sort of where the resentment builds. Like he's going off doing all these things while she's like taking hormone shots and doing the timing, Mm -hmm. doing the scheduling. She very much feels alone as she's actually going to feel uh, quite a bit because the, the the most amazing. It's so it's amazing and sad and I I have so many emotions about it. But this woman truly did not want this. She did not want this in any way. She doesn't enjoy a second of it. When she says she didn't want this, she does not want this. She wanted to be a mom and raise her kids and like be there for them and have a stable, scheduled life. And Barack yep. said no, ma'am.
1: No. He said, absolutely not. Which she knew when she was getting involved And she knew, yeah. And she did
0: did make choices throughout to say, like, I'm staying, I'm doing this. But it's like, it really, you can tell sometimes when people are like, oh my God, like, I didn't, I didn't even know this was possible. Like, I didn't want to be here. And you're like, it's okay to enjoy it. She doesn't enjoy it.
1: (laughs) No. And she said repeatedly, because people are always like, Michelle, are you going to run for president? She has made it extremely clear she does not like politics she has no desire to run for president and if you didn't know that already reading this book will definitely give yeah, you clarity on that. which is also
0: upsetting because the people who don't want it uh, are often would often be great at it as Michelle would be
1: and she would be fucking fantastic phenomenal at it.
0: so then uh when she gives birth to Sasha she wrote Sasha we plan to call her I'd chosen the name because I thought it had a sassy ring a girl named Sasha would brook no fool's And I said, like Beyonce, Sasha Fierce. Like, what's the correlation between these two? Like, when did, when did Beyonce become Sasha Fierce? And when did you name Sasha? Because- Wow, and I, and I don't have the math on that, but later okay, when I do. Michelle, you do, what do you think?
1: I think so. Beyonce became Sasha Fierce, I want to say around 2007 or 2008. Sasha Obama was born in 2001. So okay. something about Sasha is just a powerful name for folks. For,
0: yeah, and, and that must have, yeah, it was like in the air. Because the other thing that also comes first with Michelle is that when she's in the White House, they are given these code names and hers is Renaissance. Oh, and I, I also that. thought of that again with Beyonce's album, you know? And I was like, hmm. is there a, is, cause I know they know they're, each other. I know they're friends. Right. I don't know. Do. I, I saw, anyways. Right. I liked that. Um, hmm.
1: That is a good point.
0: So then she lets us in on her and Barack having marriage troubles about kind of what I was just saying of like her feeling like he's not home and like there for the family and, and off doing all these things. And she's having to like bear the burden of this household without his help. And she writes this. She said, so that she she asks them to go to therapy, they go to therapy and then she says um, I'd worked out with Cornell for a couple of years. He's her trainer, but having children had changed my regular routine. My fix for this came in the form of my ever giving mother who still worked full time, but volunteered to start coming over to the house at 4:45 in the morning, several days a week so that I could run out to Cornell's and join a girlfriend for a 5am workout and then be home by 6:30 to get the girls up and ready for their days. This new regimen changed everything, calmness and strength. Two things I feared I was losing were now back. Her mom, I mean, I I actually needed a minute. I said (laughs) this angel, like she and Barack were having the trouble, but because he's so not around because he's busy becoming Mm -hmm. a politician, it is her mom who volunteers the extra time so that her daughter can work out and feel calm.
1: Yeah, I love it so much. It reminds me so much of my mom. That is precisely the way that that's going to go whenever I have kids.
0: I know this is incorrect, but I just kept being like, no, I want your mom to sleep in. She's done enough.
1: (laughs) You know what? That's fair because I also would want her mom to sleep in and my mom to sleep in. But you know... (laughs) they're just not going to my mom's very much like no I'm gonna be there and I'm sure her mom is like that. I know
0: I, I know but I still was just sort of like I just started having these like phantom pains for her mom <laughs> I know this is such a weird reaction but I was just like oh man that's a lot she's working a it's full-time job like and she's a grandma early for you yeah maybe that's maybe this is a personal thing where like that to me is is death to my soul like that's an hour <laughs> I only see when I really have to be on set and it's tough yeah
1: yeah, it's early for me too. I, I wouldn't love it. Wouldn't I
0: love it. But so I, I get yeah, it. I get yeah. It. yeah, all right. I, I'm going to remind you of this when your daughter is like, come over at 4 a.m. Uh, so yeah. I-, <laughs> so no, I won't be doing that. Then she says this amazing paragraph in the book, which has gotten a lot of press before, but she said, he basically asked her if he can run for president. Um, And because he's like become a senator, he's like winning easily. Like, I mean, the impression of him was always that like, he was just this whirlwind who kind of gains every position without um, too much effort. I thought yeah. this book was going to give us the inside look into how difficult it actually was, but that's not in this book. She's like, yeah, it's pretty that's easy, I was which, which I like. Yep. I like that for them. You know, yep. he was just so incredible. So anyways, he's like, can I run for president? She says, I said, yes, because I loved him and had faith in what he could do. I said, yes though I was at the same time harboring a painful thought when I wasn't ready to share. I supported him in campaigning, but I also felt certain he wouldn't make it all the way. He spoke so often, so passionately of healing our country's divisions, appealing to a set of higher ideals he believed were innate in most people. But I'd seen enough of the divisions to temper my own hopes. Barack was a black man in America after all. I didn't really think he could win.
1: Ooh. I love the candor there. Me Super too. candid.
0: Me too. Yeah. I mean,
1: this- I wonder what the conversations were like between her and Barack when she had to run that type of thing by him.
0: Yeah. Like,
1: how do you broach that? Did she ever tell him that before, you know, she had to broach it for this memoir?
0: Yeah, and it, it's just to have it, this thing where you have to admit to your partner you actually didn't believe in whatever their dream was. That's yeah. hard enough. On top of that, she's dealing with the racial social political implications but also the truth of that time and like yeah who who would have put their money on thinking america was you know quote-unquote ready uh, not right not many people so it's also not no, a not wild thought yeah
1: but just based on the way that she's spoken about barack for the rest of this book or previous to that part i wonder how much of that was her trying to convince herself that it wasn't super likely because she didn't want it. Because oh, knowing him, yeah. Yeah. like you said, he kind of got what he wanted and worked his way to the top of whatever he wanted to do. So maybe it was more like, they're not ready for a black man. No.
0: Yeah, maybe though. But back into the book, one of the, one of the few names, not few, but there's not a ton. There's not a ton of names that she drags, but... um, Maureen Dowd of the New York Times is one of them. And ooh, was I happy to see it. You know- I love it. Maureen Dowd has been this beacon of uh, female power who has actively been ruining women's lives her whole career. (laughs)
1: Uh, I think you're doing it wrong, Maureen. Maybe a little bit.
0: Yeah, but she she's she's been the kind of like feminist who's like, I want, I wanted my promotion, but I certainly don't want yours. Right. And you know, and like she she sort of took on a lot of our representation. She was just such a like known, powerful female writer, really speaking on issues and always sneaking something dirty in there. Yeah. And I'm just thrilled to see people look back on her career and point out all the times. There's so many more than this, and and I I'm trying to remember the other memoir it was in, but they're like, yeah, remember when Maureen Dowd fucked all women? <laughs>
1: like, jeez. Okay, so Maureen has a little bit of reputation now. Chelsea, you remind me, is this this dragging? Maureen is the one that wrote that she was emasculating. Yeah, um, yes, Barack.
0: She, she says uh, okay. she was suggesting that I was emasculating Barack when I spoke publicly how he didn't pick up his socks or put the butter back in the fridge. Which, by the way. That would only be a masculine trope that we still all accepted. Like, you know, your you're king of queens is like leaving, you know, he's leaving 100%. his socks out. He's not putting the butterspoon back in because he's a man. And so it also doesn't even track.
1: Right. 100%. It's like men do that all the time. Yeah. Left the socks, whatever. So she's hyper-masculinizing yeah, him. Like, he, I don't understand. What are you talking about, Maureen? Maureen. Maureen. Dowd. <laughs> um And I like that she named
0: her and came came for this full name, you know, in the scope of history, very forgettable article. So I liked it. Yeah. And um, then she becomes, you know, The first lady. And I I want to read this page. This was another one of my favorite, favorite parts. There is no handbook for incoming first ladies of the United States. It is not technically a job, nor is it an official government title. It comes with no salary and no spelled out set of obligations. It's a strange kind of sidecar to the presidency. A seat, by the time I came to it, had already been occupied by more than 43 different women, each of whom had done it her own way. I also want to read this next part. She said, I knew only a little about previous first ladies and how they approached the position. I knew that Jackie Kennedy had dedicated herself to redecorating the White House. I recalled that Rosalind Carter had sat in on cabinet meetings. Nancy Reagan had gotten into some trouble accepting free designer dresses, and Hillary Clinton had been derided for (laughs) taking on a policy role in her husband's administration. Hmm. And then Laura Bush uh, comes downstairs and gives— it this is this was the best shade uh, I felt of all, which is that she just writes about this really lovely reception from Laura Bush into this home, into what raising her kids would be like here and taking her in. and she says it was such a beautiful day um, that she was already excited and looking forward to the day she would take the next incoming first lady through the house. Mm-hmm. Oh. Brilliant, because, you know, and then you're just like, oh, you just know that that the incoming is rotten. I just, I will say, like, some of my favorite content of of that transition is watching how how Barack and Michelle handled themselves and how Trump and Melania did. Like, I even remember looking at the videos of, like, when Barack and Michelle first arrived to the White House, he, like, opens the door and waits for her yeah. to walk together. And then when Trump and Melania <laughs> arrive, he just bolts for the door and she's, like, <laughs> trying to get out of the car. She's, like, 50 feet behind him. Barack waits for her. It's just, like...
1: Uh, it's just so, so awkward. It's, yeah. like, uh, God, the circumstances are night and day between the two handing overs of the White House.
0: Yes, yes.
1: The juxtaposition is crazy. Crazy, yeah. And the importance of watching, like, a Black first lady and a Black first president, I guess, dancing when their inauguration was happening. It speaks to how important representation really is, at least in my opinion. And that's why this book is also so important. Reading a memoir by the first Black first lady as, you know, a Black girl, woman in America... Again, it was resounding. I was shocked at how much I related to her, which kind of expands what I think I am capable of as a Black woman. Hmm. And that same thing is happening as we're watching them dance with their full love on display. Black kids everywhere, Black people are everywhere are watching this for the first time and realizing what's available to them, what they are actually capable of. Representation is so important, even though people try to downplay it.
0: She wrote in here, I knew my grace would have to be earned which I thought was so stunning because even, you know any first lady is the has the grace of like oh the first lady and what is she wearing and blah blah, blah. and Michelle right. got none of that Michelle had to no. uh, fight for every moment of that which it's it, you know it's devastating and it's also they they also did this job so phenomenally
1: so phenomenally and while they are you know, better than your average person or you're like more accomplished, better at things than your average person. They both come from circumstances that your average person comes from, which again, makes me and other people feel so good, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Also, I will say, um, Michelle has way more mess inside her that she is not allowed to share because of oh, the yeah. confines she's been put into in society. Oh, yeah. She's letting a little bit of it out in the second book and I and I hope there's more to come. Okay. I can't wait. Then a shocking revelation to me uh Living in the White House, you get an item. I want to read this. She said, we got an itemized bill each month for every food item and roll of toilet paper. We paid for every guest who came for an overnight stay or joined us for a meal. And with the culinary staff that had a Michelin level standard and a deep eagerness to please the president, I had to keep an eye on what got served. When Barack offhandedly remarked that he liked the taste of some exotic fruit at breakfast or the sushi on his dinner plate, The kitchen staff took note and put them into regular rotation on the menu. Only later inspecting the bill would we realize that some of these items were being flown in at great cost from overseas. I said, you get a bill at the White House?
1: Wild. Also, you know Trump
0: ran out on that bill.
1: Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Trump did not pay a piece of a penny for any goddamn thing, I'm sure. (laughs)
0: Nothing. I mean, and there's a lot of really great White House stuff in here. That's just the part that got me. I said, I, I kind of liked it for our political representatives, you know, like... Yeah. yeah, you are not, you know, you don't just get a free pass. But I also <laughs> thought it was odd.
1: I think it's weird because, like, working just a regular nine-to-five job, they give you free meals all the time. I'm like, <laughs> you at least being the lunch. president— at least lunch, you know. Being the president is literally a full time job. Why would my meals not be free? I have to live here. I have to live have here. To it's live not my here. choice. I have, I have to have, have to these live chefs. here. Yes. Yeah. What are we talking about? Why would y'all do that? I know. <laughs> America's a scam overall.
0: I know. I was like, oh, still a scam. Still a scam. So we get this sort of portrait of a huge events that happened during his time there, but, but from Michelle's perspective, which is incredibly interesting. So it's, she's watching what happens when Sandy Hook happens, mm-hmm. when Osama bin Laden um, is killed, when, you know, and, and how her husband is like, she can tell, you know, something's going on with Barack, but he's not saying exactly what happened. And we get to like, kind of go back through the presidency of all these big moments. Now, I will say I wanted more sections on the parties. I know for from some people who've been there, the White House at this time had the most epic parties, where again, Beyonce and Jay-Z would be like, Yes, we'll be there and perform. You know? But you're also like I in the White it. House and all the types of guests, and that there was just like dancing and joy and camaraderie in a way that the White House doesn't normally host parties. And I needed, I needed some chapters on that that I didn't get. Okay.
1: Yeah, that shows where Michelle's mind's at. She's like, yeah, there's parties, I guess. But anyways, back to the yeah. foolishness that was also, going she, on.
0: She can't, I'm sure she can't. They get, you know, if she came out and right. like, oh, she's this talking about parties, she, can she can't. Yeah. Also, I loved uh, the first night of the inauguration, like at two in the morning, she's like, yeah, I'm... I'm done. And she taps out and goes to bed as like the party (laughs)
1: continues. I love it. She's like, I want you to be president. Anyways, okay, I'm tired. I'm going to sleep.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And she she just really, um, she pours herself into giving Sasha and Malia the best childhood possible to some sense of normalcy within this wild world. I, you know, from the outside in, what's in this book, I think she just did a fantastic job. And the only moment that I was like, just like oop, this is just a little bit out of touch, which again I like for her. I think she should have more of these moments. But she was like, <laughs> and then Malia took it upon her own accord to find Steven Spielberg at dinner and tell him about her dreams. And she on her own got a great internship in Hollywood. And I was like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> Listen, <laughs> is that how that went. <laughs> but you know, we're I think we're leaning it a little bit into
1: <laughs> Yeah. But there's maybe, no nephew baby here is what she's saying. But.
0: Yeah. And you know what? I'll give it to you. I can't, you know, but it was funny.
1: Yeah. Very funny. Um,
0: so, I, oh, she talks about like how she was surprised that Barack gave Hillary a position in the cabinet, which I also, because <laughs> she's also really kind and I thought just not even kind, but she's just so um, factual about Hillary. Like mm-hmm. the campaign she wrote, Hillary helps her her find a good school. Like she's just there, she's around. So when she said, I can't believe he gave her a job, that was also uh, shade from the high road. But Shade I think, from the high road. But in a way where I think just the, the campaign, their campaign got so ugly at one point. I think that it was did. the most
1: shocking. I remember that. Yep. Yep.
0: Okay. So then we come towards the end of the book where she is talking about the night Trump gets elected, and she says, as the movie wrapped up and the lights came on, Barack's cell phone buzzed. I saw him glance at it and then look again, his brow furrowing just slightly. Huh, he said. Results in Florida are looking kind of strange. Of course, it's Uh-oh. Florida. Um, she said there's no alarm in his voice, just a tiny seed of awareness. And then she was just talking about like watching her husband's face all night and and sort of catching on what was going to happen. And she says... I announced that I was going to go upstairs. I walked to the elevator hoping to do only one thing, which was to block it all out and go to sleep. I understood what was probably happening, but wasn't ready to face it. As I slept, the news was confirmed. American voters had elected Donald Trump to succeed Barack as the next president of the United States. I wanted to not know that fact for as long as
1: I possibly could. I love that. I yeah. love that. That is She's, she's like a beautiful writer. Also. A very
0: beautiful writer and mm-hmm. a very beautiful way I'm sure she has just so much more to say about this decision. Um, Where were you when, uh, like, what were you doing the night of the 2016 election when results came in?
1: I was getting drunk in my little teeny tiny two-bedroom with my roommate and a friend on our futon with wine, um, crying.
0: Did you know what was (laughs) coming or were you hanging out and then it started coming and then
1: crying? I didn't expect that win at all. I was chilling. Just I love, I, first of all, I majored in politics. So it's very much my thing. I was in DC Wait, for around the time. I had no idea about this. Yeah, it was my thing. I really don't touch it very much anymore. But I was in DC in 2016, not during the election, but in 2016, I was in DC. So I was in the height of the politics and all of that. And so I was really in tune. I watched these things for sport and for fun. Yeah. And so I thought I was just watching it for funsies and ended up not being fun in any capacity. It was yeah. real bad.
0: <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. Um, I love this political past of yours. Also, no wonder you gravitated towards this book as well. Like, oh, sure yeah. You a oh, lot yeah. yeah, yeah. This
1: was a strong contender for my fave memoir. I think this is the first memoir I read ever. General. I think ever. what a
0: beautiful gateway memoir. Also, yeah. such a high bar. A lot of them can't reach
1: this. <laughs> bar, yeah, hard.
0: Okay, we tapped into our political uh, whims. And now we will finish the book, which is to say, uh, i want to read the last paragraph. She's really kind of talking about um, Barack's presidency, transitioning into Trump's. And she says, my view is unusual, perhaps, because I think what I experienced in the During those years is what many did, a sense of progress, the comfort of compassion, the joy of watching the unsung and invisible find some light, a glimmer of the world as it could be. This was our bid for permanence, a rising generation that understood what was possible and that even more was possible for them. Whatever was coming next, this was a story we could own. And then in the epilogue, she ends the epilogue saying this, which again, sorry, thesis of the podcast. It's a thesis of the podcast. She said... (laughs) Maybe we can better embrace the ways we are the same. It is not about being perfect. It's not about where you get yourself in the end. There's power in allowing yourself to be known and heard in owning your unique story and in using your authentic voice. And there's grace in being willing to know and hear others. This, for me, is how we
1: become. just like what a writer ah, her so word beautiful. choice and things is incredible to me and i don't you know her word choice is immaculate i love it
0: yes it's fantastic and she says um in the the second book which you'll get but how the tour of becoming is one of the greatest times of her life and i think it's because yep. it was the only time she was truly truly and fully and purely allowed to have her own
1: solo voice Exactly, it was her her own thing. and
0: okay, before we fully end and go into the book deal test, I have to ask you one thing which we didn't fully cover, which is, what are your thoughts on Michelle's first lady championing cause, which was fighting obesity in children?
1: Uh, um, Good thoughts overall, but as someone (laughs) who was a child at that time and was dealing with those damn school lunches that were gross, (laughs) I have personal (laughs) vendetta against that particular campaign. But (laughs) very good overall. And it definitely had measurable results. Um, Childhood obesity definitely came down. I don't remember the exact numbers, but I know that there is measurable data that shows that it was an effective campaign. Thank you. Um, The food was disgusting, but thank you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I really love that take. I have to say, maybe this, I I don't know what other people's thoughts on it, but kind of like looking back and reading it in the book, it really um, hit me as like, basically she she got so busy and she really wanted her family to eat healthy and they have this like guy named sam this white dude named sam who like cooks them healthy meals and she gets really interested in it i think he's the gateway to her and this cause but i was like it really felt like i want my family to be healthy and then became this like national cause which i'm not saying it was negative but when i look back for someone who had to deal so much with optics i do think it was a bit of a miss definitely (laughs) incredible compared to things like be best yeah but um but I did kind of look back at and be like, oh, that's so interesting that was that that was Michelle's... Because she has so many um, causes and cares
1: in this book. A hundred percent. A teeny tiny miss. Definitely, I would also say a miss a little bit. There was one portion of the book where she says that she took Malia or Sasha, I can't remember, to the doctor. And the doctor says that their BMI is a little bit. It's creeping up. And even the focus on BMI... Which we is, know is an incorrect like, We know that it's incorrect. So I thought it was interesting that she's still had that as something in the back of her mind that kind of snowballed into the rest of the country needs to go ahead and tighten this up too
0: (laughs) okay let's do the book deal test so uh first question was the author vulnerable did she share her truth
1: fuck yes hard i'm gonna
0: say absolutely yes as much as she was able but she's got some more in there to say that i'm gonna look forward to in the second book which i will get to after this okay second question was it entertaining to read
1: yes i was you know, very entertained
0: <laughs> i will I will also say, yes, riveting read i I just loved you know, i it it was hitting some nostalgia for me to just kind of go back to that time um yeah. and wish we were there um okay, and final question, did reading this book elevate your life in some way?
1: a hundred percent, as I said, it dragged me out of a, a weird, depressive episode that I was experiencing. So. What do
0: you think specifically kind of got you the most?
1: It was. Hearing about her childhood and how similar it was to mine and hearing about her hardships that she had had and how she was able to overcome them. I was going through a little bit of a hardship at that time regarding jobs and career and pivoting career and that type of thing. And Michelle, I think she mentioned that she pivoted careers three times in this book or Mm -hmm. something of that sort. Um, And then hearing her talk about having to take a pay cut and then another more severe, deep pay cut in order to feel fulfillment. I was like, wow, okay, so there's nothing wrong with me. It's not just me because in 2020, 2020 or 2019, when I was reading this book, social media is very much a thing. I'm looking at a highlight reel. I'm like, oh my God, I'm the only one that's experiencing these things. It's so bad. And Michelle helped me feel less alone and more humanized. So it's great.
0: Uh, that was so beautifully said. Um, thank you
1: so much for sharing that. Yeah. So,
0: Clay, thank you so much for coming on. Tell people about your podcast, where they can find them and where they can follow you.
1: For sure. So, I have a podcast called Black People Love Paramore, where every episode we dive into one topic, niche, or idea that large groups of black people go up for, like Paramore, that mainstream media doesn't necessarily associate with black people. Previous episode topics include anime, Ariana Grande. What did Yasser do? Yasser did... Chirp phones, like you know, like the Nextel <laughs> chirp phones and yes. sidekicks. So that's Hilarious. an episode. Yeah, just on that episode. So Tony Hawk, skateboarding stuff like that. So if you like any of those things, tap in. And I also have a new podcast called Glass House by Sequoia Holmes, and it's more so just a lifestyle podcast talking about whatever I want. In the first episode, I'm talking about man's rejection being the universe's protection and ties in my life where I experienced that. So if that sounds interesting, also check it out.
0: And where are you on Instagram? And are you still on Twitter or is this a TikTok thing? Like, I am tell us, on Twitter. Tell us where to go.
1: I'm on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram at Sequoia B. Holmes. So you can find me there.
0: Thank you so much for coming on. You're such a delight. And I'll, I'll you, see Chelsea. you at the next Super Bowl gathering. I'll see you at Super Bowl. we Will not be watching. I will be joking with Sequoia in the
1: corner. I'm there for the food.
0: That is all for this week's episode. Go to at Chelsea Devontae's my Instagram where I post book recaps. I'm going to post Sequoia's outfit. Uh, I We have like a little digital book club going on there. And so um, it has become such an intense joy in my life. I can't, it's sick how much I enjoy it. Um, people write in things on DMs. We hold polls. Like I truly feel like I'm having a book club every night via my Instagram, which I guess is some weird weird portion of 2023 that has become my life and and I love it. So come find me there. We also have a Facebook group called Celebrity Book Club Podcast and if you want an extra bonus episode uh, every single month, go to our Patreon. It is linked in the show notes. It's patreon.com slash Chelsea Fontes for just a dollar or five dollars a month is up to you to see what benefits you want. You get an extra episode a month and we send you instructions on how to add it to your podcast app. So the whole thing takes like three minutes and then just starts coming to your phone just the way you normally listen to a podcast. It is great. I want to give a huge shout out to our episode and entire podcast producer Kate Downey. I always call her our episode producer, she produces the whole thing. And I also want to give a shout out to our our sound engineer DJ Bouncy House. Thank you guys so much for reading and listening along and we'll see you soon for another juicy book.